Last week we began our series in, on spiritual warfare. I realized I hadn't really given a definition, and some people love definitions, and so I'm going to give it to you now. Uh, this is one I sort of made through different uh, resources. But spiritual warfare is the ongoing battle between God's people and the forces of Satan, wherein God's people stand in the armor of God and advance God's kingdom through the gospel. Now, that might not help very much in the sense of it's got a lot of churchy words, gospel, armor of God. We haven't even really talked about those things. And one of the things about definitions is that they're meant to clarify and sort of simplify to help get our mind around something. Um, but the problem with that is that with spiritual warfare, one of the basic things is, all right, we've got God and, and his way and his um, and his people, and Satan, right? And there's two conflicting parties. There's a war going on, and there's two sides. And one of the basic things of war is, well, what side are you on? And so it's, it's good to simplify, but often we need to go deeper if we want to actually win, right? If we want to actually um, engage in spiritual warfare in a way that we win. I was just reminded of... Uh, you know, when my kids were little, they played soccer, and this was when we lived in North Carolina. And, you know, down there, a lot of people had no idea about soccer because Americans don't play soccer. Um, and so I really had a lot of uh, empathy for the coaches because there's little kids, they're just learning the first time what is soccer about. And they'd say, all right, basically, you all need to get the, the ball in that goal. And so what would they do? That's what they would do. And a big whole group of them would just, you know, follow the ball. And, and, and then the ball would go flying. And then one person who was faster would go. And it was just pandemonium. And they, they weren't very good at it because a very simple kind of way, yes, it's true, on the very basic level, you get the, the goal in there. When it comes to actually winning the game, the people who won the game understood, all right, I've got to fight my human propensity for lack of patience, and if I just need to stay here and rely on my other teammates to, to pass it to me and all of this and spacing. And, and so there's this fighting against a human tendency that actually helps us win. Um, and then as you get older, too, you, you find out conditioning is a huge part of playing soccer so that you just running up and down that field so much that if you really want to win there's also that conditioning aspect. And so I, I bring this up because when it comes to spiritual warfare, things on the spiritual realm rarely match up exactly one for one with the earthly realm. It's not a, it's, it's not a simplistic, all right, here's God's people on this side and here's Satan's side. Satan basically will say, no, no, I'm, I'm claiming both sides. He'll work in the situation. In fact, there's three enemies. There's three primary enemies in spiritual warfare. And we're going to talk about those today because too many people are taken out by friendly fire. So it's important to know our enemies. Our enemies are our own sinful nature, uh, Satan, and then worldly systems. Okay, Sin has infected our hearts, so we're prone to sin, but that same sin uh, inter, inter, um, enters into our relationships, into society, and those are our three primary enemies. And in the fog of war, things get confusing. 
So it's important to, again, clarify who our enemies are. And this is especially true when doing spiritual battle. Because oftentimes we war against flesh and blood when the real battle that needs to go on is on a spiritual level. And that's what our first scripture tells us. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. As, as the Apostle Paul in Ephesians does a lot of teaching on spiritual warfare, he sets out first one principle about our enemies, and that is our enemies we don't fight against, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So Ephesians 6, chapter, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So that's one very important concept, is that who, we're, who are we fighting with and what methods are we using? So, for instance, a, a person next to you might start taking the Lord's name in vain and, and cursing people out, and you're like, man, that person is really seems to be against God. So, boom, strike him right in the mouth, right? Ha-ha, I'm fighting God's battle. I'm on God's side. No, no. First of all, wrong enemy and wrong method. Wrong enemy in that this scripture says we don't fight against flesh and blood. And wrong method in that how is that method going to bring that person under the lordship of the Prince of Peace? You see, we, that person is involved in a spiritual battle. And yes, we're seeing in their flesh the results of that. But we need to understand that we need to come against those spiritual enemies first and foremost in the power and methods of God if we truly want them not just to uh, be disciplined by God, but to actually be won over by God. You see, God's spirit can change the heart. God's spirit can lead to a transformed life. It's not just about changing behavior in the physical realm. Because we can do that, right? That's, that's one of the things that is sort of a worldly system is that, all right, if we just modify behavior, that's the answer. Where God says, no, no, we're not going to modify behavior. We're going to transform hearts. We're going to take enemies of God and turn them into friends of God. Through love. And that's exactly what Christ does. Yes, Christ is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. And he can totally wipe out all of his enemies. But instead he dies for his enemies. I think of the Apostle Paul. He was an enemy of the church. If Satan had a hold of him and was using him to persecute the early church. Now someone could have went and hit Paul in the face, right? Beat him down some. But instead, God got a hold of his heart, and when he changed Paul's heart, he changed Paul. And he went from being an enemy of God to a friend of God. You see, my friends, we need to identify in spiritual warfare the sides, because there's, again, many casualties in spiritual warfare. So yes, one important principle is we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against those spiritual forces of evil. All right, well, let's define those spiritual forces. Again, I mentioned there's three primary spiritual forces of evil that we have to combat in the spiritual realm, and we find that in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. 
It defines these three enemies for us. Let's first just look at the first three verses uh, for time's sake, and then I'll go back to the rest. But the apostle Paul says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I'll stop there. Right here we see the three spiritual enemies. Last week we talked about how spiritual warfare started in the Garden of Eden as, as Satan. Okay, that was one of our enemies. Here in, in verse 2, called the prince of the power of the air, Satan gets humanity to side against God and his ways. And this scripture picks up from Eden, right, where this passage says, all right, we're sons of Adam and Eve. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. Because Satan said, all right, you know, if you go against God, Adam and Eve, you, you won't die. Yeah, he said not to do that, but, but you won't die. But we did. We spiritually died. We, there's hostility now between us and God. And then we, death came upon us in the physical realm as well. And then that separation from God, that propensity to sin has now infected our species so that whenever we can, if we have that choice, we often choose against God. And that's what Paul refers to as the flesh, right? Our own sin, that's another enemy. We've got Satan, and then we have our own sin. And that's where... Here in chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Among all you once lived in the passions of our flesh, right? The flesh is what Paul refers to as that sinful propensity. If you look in Romans and some of his other writings, he often refers to that as the flesh. That's the worldly systems. And then that, that part of our sin that only, not only infects us as individuals, it affects our relationships, it, it affects how we organize as society, and it infects every system and culture. So now this course of the world is contrary to God. And that's what Paul says in verse 2, in which you once walked following the course of this world. The course of this world is that there's a certain way the world works, and it draws us away from God and undermines his kingdom. So those are the three enemies, and they're not in flesh and blood, even though that is how we'll encounter them. Right? We often encounter them in the flesh and blood, but they really exist on a deeper spiritual plane, the flesh, Satan, and the worldly systems. So let's look at each one a little bit. So the flesh, right? that is our propensity to sin, our propensity to choose against God, the same thing that the, uh, our, our Adam and Eve, our predecessors have done it's that part of us that when someone says, don't do this, we immediately want to do that. Uh, spiritual warfare, therefore, if it's dealing with, if one of the enemies is our flesh, if it's our own propensity to sin, then spiritual warfare starts out with a, is very personal, right? It's an internal struggle. It's an internal warfare that starts out, again, close it's an, it's an internal enemy. The enemy is within. And if you think about that, you're like, man, well, how in the world can I fight against that? 
I mean, it's one thing when you're in a conflict and you know it's me against them, but what if when it, when it's it's me and me uh, and, and, and against them, and, and there's this thing in me that's my own worst enemy. So that that spiritual battle, again, primarily it starts close, and this is why if you ever made a movie about spiritual warfare, it'd be really boring. Right, you know, I mean, a lot of us like war movies. I like watching them. They're, they're very interesting, especially ones that are based in hit real history. But I mean, imagine making a, a movie out of spiritual warfare. I mean, basically, you're just zooming in on someone and they're praying and they're reading their Bible. Right, like, all right, when's the action gonna happen? Well, no, that's where the battle's going on, is that there's this internal struggle that then uh, works out in the physical. And so you can be thinking, yeah, how in the world can I fight against these spiritual forces when there's an enemy within my own sin. Well, the good news is that when we're reconciled to God through Christ, he gives us his Holy Spirit so that we are not alone even in the battle within. Because uh, sometimes we feel like, yeah, I'm going through this and this is a struggle as I try to follow God. Well, it's not just you. Right? You have the Holy Spirit of God who can do battle for you in you. That's a part of the gospel. Romans 8 verse 10 says this as a promise. It says, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So Paul's point here is that you have the spirit of God. So walk in the supernatural power of the spirit so that Christ's victory over sin, your sin, Christ's victory over death, your death, Christ's victory over Satan will be a lived out reality in your life. That's the good news. Now, in war, if you have access to your enemy, one of the things you can do is interrogate them to get some information and all that stuff, right? Well, if the enemy is within, then maybe we need to do some self-interrogation. Right? And if it helps, you know, put that spotlight on yourself to really put the pressure on yourself. You know, whatever, whatever works. But, you know, I think oftentimes when we're in the spiritual battle saying, all right, whatever Situation I'm in, asking ourselves, interrogating my, uh, ourselves, am I reacting in the spirit or am I reacting in the flesh? Again, it's very helpful to stop and say, this reaction, whatever it is, whether it's a word or a deed, social media post, am I acting in the flesh or in the spirit? Now, if you're new to Christianity, you might be like, well, I'm not even sure about what, what, what does that mean to react in the spirit? Well, that's why we need to get in the word. And the, the um, Galatians says that the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. So we can say, is this reaction, is it exuding, is it reflecting and relying on God's love, on his joy, on his kindness, on his self-control? Is it reflecting that? And if not, then it's probably you're acting out of the flesh and not out of the spirit. But here's the good news, because 
A lot of times when I'm doing that self-interrogation, I'm like, man, I just reacted in the flesh. What do we do then? Well, then, because Christ has already secured the victory, because he's already died for our sins, we simply reset our minds on the Spirit. Like, that's basically what repentance is. That's basically what the Christian life is, is that you realize through the Spirit, whether that's through self-interrogation or whatever, you, you just know, oh, I've been working in the flesh and I've been following the course of this world. No, I, I want to act according to the Spirit. That, that is repentance. So you just redo. You reset. Mind on the Spirit. All right, how do I react? You redo. You, whatever you were doing, now you're like, no, that's not by the Spirit, and so I'm going to walk by the Spirit. So the words that I would have said, I'm going to repent of those. I'm going to redo that. And revival happens through repentance. Revival happens through repentance. Victory in the spiritual realm happens in repentance. When, again, we're saying, I'm undermining God's kingdom. I'm losing the spiritual battle. But now I'm going to stop doing that and focus on Christ. Focus on the Spirit. All right, what about the other enemies? Well, the devil, Satan, Lucifer, he's got many names. We talked about him last week as the serpent in the garden. And in our scripture in Ephesians 2, 2, he's referred to as the prince of the power of the air. So basically, Satan is the commander-in-chief of the forces arrayed against God. That includes demonic forces. And the Bible basically presents Satan as somebody who has a tremendous amount of influence over the world. Right? He is the prince of the power of the air. He's the, the prince of the world. And when Satan tempts Jesus in the desert, and we're not going to get into that scripture today. We might in a future Sundays. But you remember, he, he, one of the ways he tempts Jesus, he says, hey, if you worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Well, that only makes sense. That is only a temptation if there's a grain of truth in that. Is that, yeah, Satan holds influence over all the world. But an important thing to remember about Satan is he has influence, but he's not in charge. Right? God is in charge. And not only that, but Satan has been defeated by Christ on the cross. He's a defeated foe. Now, as he's seeking to trash the place, as he's, as he's getting ready to be cast into um, the hell which was prepared for Satan and his minions, but on his way out, he's seeking to take out as many people as possible. And because Christ has defeated Satan, uh, he can't defeat Christ. He's already been, Satan's already lost to Christ. He's going to seek to take down Christ's body. That is the primary, um, the, 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 the primary target now of Satan because he can't beat Christ, is Christ's body, his church. And Romans 5, excuse me, 1 Peter 5, 8 says this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Satan roams and seeks to devour people. And here he's called the adversary. Other places he's called the accuser, the father of lies. Now, although Satan has a great deal of power, a great deal of influence, again, 
He's not in charge. God is. And also, he's not omnipresent. Right? So Satan is not everywhere at once. Right? God is. Like God can be everywhere at once, but Satan can't. So the good news is that you know the devil, uh, he can't be everywhere at once. So it's very unlikely that you will be, be undergoing a direct attack from Satan himself. That's the good news. Bad news, though, is that uh, you know there are many demons. There's demonic forces who follow Satan, and they basically have the same mo, the same modus operandi as Satan, and that is to obstruct God's path, uh, God's plan in in the world, to to attack the church, to accuse, to uh, to promote lies. And when we're feeling under spiritual attack from demonic forces, again, what is the key? Again, the key is to go to the one who's already had victory, to go to God. There's a lot more I could say about Satan, but um, I don't want to focus on uh, and give him undue focus. I also want to get into the third enemy, and that's worldly systems. So Satan can't be everywhere at once, but he really doesn't need to. Because he generally uses the worldly corrupt systems. So what I mean by worldly systems, this is what um, in Ephesians chapter, our scripture 2, 2 says, in which you once walked following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, is that there, is, um, there are ways in which our own sin right, has infected not just ourselves, but in our interactions, in our society, and Satan will use that. So there are things in this world that are normal, but they don't align with God's plan and his methods. And Satan will use those things. And the thing is, is (laughs) Wendy will tell you that this sermon was very difficult because I had pages and pages and pages and pages of ways of worldly systems and different things that Satan attacks us in these different worldly systems. And I could have preached for like eight hours on them all and still had others to do. But the the thing is, is for me, this is one of the more difficult areas in spiritual warfare because we often don't even see it. It's like a fish. Tell a fish they're in water and they're like, what? They don't know anything different. They don't know they're in water because that's how they've lived their lives. So too, we have, as we live in this world, the systems and ways of the world, we're so accustomed to them, even as Christians, that we can become desensitized and blind to them and get carried away by these things, all the while they're undermining what God is doing. And Satan is perfectly content of saying, yeah, let him just run that way. Let him just run the course of the world. And not only that, but oftentimes these worldly systems have a grain of truth or a grain of goodness in them, and, but then they're perverted, right, through our own kind of sin, and, and just that's what we do. We take neutral and good things, and we can make them primary things and thus make them things against God. So these are very difficult, tricky things, and we get captured by them, and we don't even realize it. So the Apostle Paul, he gives a warning in in Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, 
according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, for in Christ, um, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So here this warning is don't be captured by these elemental spirits of the world, of these vain philosophies and empty deceits. Again, the course of the world. And since the days of the apostles, Christians have struggled with that. Is that Satan continues to try to use these systems to capture people, all sorts of philosophies, all sorts of deceits. In the New Testament, um, there were several of them that were mentioned. For instance, one was, oh, you know, you really have to uh, get your act together first. Follow the law of Moses before you even can accept Jesus. Well, that was an empty philosophy, a works-based philosophy that Paul's saying, don't get captured by that. Or, um, you know, there's this special knowledge, this special gnosis. That if you really want to know God, you need to have this secret knowledge. It was with the Gnostics. It was just starting in the New Testament time. Again, a, a vain philosophy. And Paul is saying, don't let any of these things take you captive. Because Satan will use these things to make you into a prisoner of war. And if you're captive by these things, if you're a prisoner of war, you can't advance the kingdom. You're captive. Paul's saying, you belong to Christ. He is the head. He is your Lord. Don't let anything take that number one position in your heart. And again, there's so many philosophies and deceits that undermine God's kingdom in this world, in this nation. Um, you know, and sometimes you see them more clearly when you kind of get out of the water, like, you know, because you're a fish and you get out of the water, um, when I went to India and taught there for, um, for a few weeks, one of the things that struck me was that India used to have a caste system. In other words, there was different castes, different classes of people. And although that was officially uh, made illegal by the government, it still had an effect, and it still had an effect in the church, where that if you were of a lower, lower class, sometimes you could be a wonderful leader, but people wouldn't listen to you because you were of a lower caste. That's an example of Satan using the, the, the patterns of the world, the patterns in this culture, and using them to undermine what God is doing. You know, uh, tomorrow's Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and, you know, we remember how uh, the same kind of stuff exists in America, right? And it especially existed. And, and one of the things that I appreciate about uh, Reverend Dr. King was that, you know, in the physical realm, he had people beating him, calling him names, jailing him, and yet, how did he react? He reacted in peace. See, the method was nonviolence. And if you listen to his speech, he said, why? Why are you doing that? Because that's Christ's way. He said, no, if I'm going to advance not just this cause, but I want to do it in a way that glorifies Christ, he's the prince of peace. So he picked nonviolence. Violent. That's Christ's way. Don't get caught up in the course of the world, in the methods. But there's so many things, so many ways that we're caught up. And one of them is not just following um, worldly methods, but, you know, worldly philosophies as well. So many ways. 
Again, I have about eight pages, but I'll, I'll just pick a couple. Um, you know, I think about, uh, and Peter prayed about this, here in America, one of the things that we're susceptible to is, is radical individualism and consumerism. And as a pastor, that is one of the things that I think afflicts the church more than any other thing, where we approach church not as a family, not as a, you know, this is a covenant commitment to one another as we do battle together. And we're going to cover this in a couple of weeks that, you're, you know, you're my platoon. You know, we fight together. Instead, there's this mindset of like, well, no, I'm going to go to a buffet. You know, I'm going to go to a buffet and take a little of what I want. And if I'm uncomfortable or somehow something like that, well, no, I'll just go to a different buffet. But God often uses our uncomfort to grow us, right? Is that in, as we're talking with one another and, and you make me uncomfortable, whether you're holding me accountable or, or you're just so different than I am, whatever, politically or whatever other thing, and and as we work through that, we grow. Because if we're both, say, if we're all saying, no, Christ is Lord, he is number one, then as we struggle through those minor things, it grows us. It grows us. So yes, there's, there's that, right? And Satan will use our consumerism in America to undermine what he's doing in advancing his kingdom. But of course, you know, there's also political divisions. We live in such a politically divided time. And you know, when it comes to the world, we, we shouldn't be surprised when the world just goes this way and that way. And the, the way of the world is to violently react. So we expect that. Right? We expect divisions. We expect people to be like, no, I'm of this political persuasion and I'm like this. And so we're enemies. That's what we expect in the world. But we should not expect that in the church. We should not because, uh, again, if Christ is Lord, then he is above all things. And one of the ways of the world that it goes throughout cultures is people always wanting God on their side. Everyone wants to claim Jesus. Like, oh, Jesus is on my side. And when we do that, what do we do is we're, we're taking Christ who is above all things and we are putting him under, right? Whatever our political idea is, whatever our political ideology. And we should expect that for the world. The world has always been using God for their own agenda, but we should not expect that in the church. You know, I'm greatly distressed at... You know, one of the labels that I self-identify with, I always have, is evangelical. Right? I'm an evangelical. I've written academic papers that have been published in the Journal of Evangelical Theological Society. One of the reasons I love that label is that it comes from evangel, right? Evangelion, the gospel. Evangelical means that Christ is Lord. It emphasizes that we believe in Jesus and that he is Lord of all. He's Lord of lords and King of kings. 
and that we call to the society and we say, trust in Jesus, follow him alone. He is the only one worth giving your heart to. And now, you know, when you ask the average American, hey, when, when I say evangelical, what do you think of? They think of the Republican Party. They think of Trumpism. And now they think of a group that's willing to overturn the results of an election. Now, I'm not saying that's an accurate portrayal of what they think. Satan often uses disinformation in that way. But nonetheless, that is what the word evangelical is associated with now. And however that came to be, we could discuss how did that come to be. I will tell you this. It is a hindrance to the gospel. It is a hindrance to the gospel. This fusion is an example of Satan using the course of this world to put a stumbling block before his kingdom. We want to give, give people a clear view of Christ's kingdom. But unfortunately, now they think of political kingdoms first. That's spiritual warfare going on. That's an example of spiritual warfare going on in our culture. And in fact, we think of in such partisan ways that some of you might be thinking, well, what about Joe Biden and the Democrats? No, what about the kingdom of God? See, through worldly systems, Satan has been able to shift our frame of reference from the kingdom of God to political parties. So that instead of saying, wait, wait a minute, how does you know, Trump or Joe Biden fit? And what do their policies fit under the kingdom of God? We're saying, all right, how does the kingdom of God, how does this fit into the political categories? So that I even feel it necessary to say, well, yeah, if for some reason the evangelical faith was, um, was associated with the Democratic Party, I'd be just, if not more, disturbed. And I feel like I have to say that because Satan has used the divisiveness of our culture to put, set the frame of reference so that when we are talking about anything, we try to fit it into the political categories. And that is an example of the course of this world invading the church, invading what God is trying to do. That's spiritual warfare going on. That is spiritual warfare, and it undermines what God is doing. So let me give you a test, a test if you've been captured by a political philosophy or otherworldly idea is, can you biblically critique that thing? Can you biblically critique that whatever group you belong to? You see, the reason I say that is captives don't let you criticize them. If you've taken, been taken as a prisoner of war you, <laughs> and you complain or criticize your captor, they'll smack you down. So can you critique biblically that thing? So, you know, maybe you lean democratic, right? Are you able to, to wrestle and critique and say, you know, how is it just for perfectly healthy, viable babies to be aborted? How is that just in the eyes of God? But do you, do you immediately say, well, yeah, but the, but, but the Republicans, they don't care about women after or, or whatever. Do you feel that real need to defend your side or if you're uh, a Republican, you know, and someone says, you know, refusing to help refugees goes against God's work to, word to help the refugee, the widow, the fatherless. Do you immediately say, well, yeah, but the, but, but the Democrats. 
You see, with our eyes on God's kingdom, we should be able to see how every single human political philosophy or any philosophy falls short of fully, that, that full transcendence of God's kingdom. Because God, God's kingdom transcends, transcends political parties, transcends nations. And there's so many other worldly systems we could go into. But you know, how do we combat that? How do we combat when that enemy is so difficult because we can't see it, right? We're so taken in that philosophy or, or we just hang around with people just like us, the echo chambers. How do we combat that? Worldly systems, when again, we don't even realize it, we don't even see it because we're in the middle of it. Well, I think one answer, and this is my vision for the church, and for our church in particular, is, is, you know, we want people of diverse backgrounds, of diverse political kind of leanings. Why? Because that helps us see our own things that we're blind to. That often, again, when I travel internationally, it helps me see, wow, that's my blind spots as an American. And so as a church, if we have people of different backgrounds, different ethnicities, they help us see, well, I, I've got a blind spot because this is just how I grew up. I didn't even think about that. So it's, this diversity is not a, this, this liberal boogeyman. It's actually a way to help us interpret Scripture properly. Because I've got blind spots that, that you don't have. And so as I'm reading the scriptures, I want to get what did the Holy Spirit actually inspire. But if I'm blind to that, maybe you can help me see because you're different. Or again, those political persuasions. One of the reasons I did that series on loving church members with different political views is the understanding that it's okay to have different political views. And we actually help one another see the fuller truth when we have some differences. And again, that only works, though, if Jesus is Lord. That only works if we are so committed to Christ and what he is doing, and, and he is Lord alone, that any of the, the earthly differences, oh, no, God transcends that. So I can, I can talk to you about these political issues. I can talk to you about you know, our differences in upbringing because you say Jesus is Lord, I say Jesus is Lord. And that's the focus. But again, one of those earthly things that, that keeps us from doing that, the course of the world, is again, our radical American consumerism. In other words, we would rather go to a church where everyone's all singing the same song because it makes us more comfortable on these secondary issues. Now, I'm not talking about false teaching. I'm talking about biblical, Christ-centered, we're all biblical, we're all Christ-centered, Jesus is Lord types of people that, that we would rather have that comfort instead of that confrontation that causes us to grow and then causes us to actually read the scriptures more accurately. Because that's really what it's about. It's reading the scriptures more accurately. That, again, I have blind spots. But if you and I, if Jesus is Lord and we're coming at it from different places, now I'm actually understanding what the Holy Spirit inspired because you've helped me get rid of some of my blind spots. Again, one of the reasons I so much enjoy teaching internationally is that I'm always coming into contact with, whoa, that was a blind spot. I just assumed that. 
So again, one of the ways to combat that is our church family. And being okay with being different and, and disagreeing on secondary issues and working through that. Again, I, I can see I'm already way over time, but and there's like a hundred other things I could talk about. <laughs> but now I've got to battle against that other human propensity that, that Satan uses, and that is our attention span, right? <laughs> is that our attention span is like, oh, I can't go that far. I'm already overloaded. Um, so I better stop. But maybe you are feeling overwhelmed in a sense of, I just launched a whole lot of things. Wait, I've got my own sin to deal with. I've got Satan to deal with. I've got these worldly systems that I don't even realize I'm in to deal with. And you feel like, how in the world can I have victory? Because I'll tell you, over the course of these last four years, I've realized I am no match for this combo. I'm no match for the combo of Satan, my own sin, and then the worldly systems. I mean, that's such that even when you do the right thing, you can still lose. But that's war. So maybe you're feeling discouraged, but that's what war is like. Sometimes you can follow your orders, do everything right to a T, and still take a bullet. That's war. And that's what we're in. But it's a spiritual war. What's the key? I think the key is we're going to skip down to Romans 12 too. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I started by saying that spiritual warfare is complex, there's multiple enemies, and, and again, you can maybe feel like, well, then what in the world can I do? Is it all about losing? How in the world? Well, it does get simpler in that, yeah, there's multiple levels of enemies, there's multiple things going on, but what it comes down to is most of that stuff's above your pay grade. It's above my pay grade. That's God's concern. And as good foot soldiers, you know what we really just need to do? It comes down to this very simply is to go and get our marching orders every day, daily report for duty and say, all right, God, I know I'm going to be assaulted today by the forces of Satan. I know I'm going to be assaulted by the worldly systems and my own sin. So God, help me. Help my, help give me the victory. And focus on Christ and then renew your mind daily. Be equipped. Read the scriptures in prayer. Report for duty and let God's victory, let his power, let his spirit flow in you, fill you so that even though you're walking in the midst of a battle, yes, maybe taking a bullet here and there, you are still promoting the kingdom of God. You're still advancing the kingdom of God. And so let's do that. And, and it's even then, it's like, oh, I, I don't want to focus. This is me as I was thinking about this sermon. I don't want to focus on that political stuff because we already have too much of it. And it's too divisive and all of this stuff. But yet, that is a part of the battle that we happen to be in right now. And so as you face these different enemies this, this week, today, again, the key is just get your marching orders. It's simple as that. Go to God, go to the Spirit, and see what he does in you and through you. Let's pray. Dear God, we do confess that we are under assault, and we've been captive by the enemies a lot. And so now we, we come to you and we gather because we acknowledge, Lord, our need for one another, our need for you. And would you work in us? Would you cause us to be so focused on you that all other things fall by the wayside. That, Lord, in a very simple way, 
we just say, I'm going to follow God today. I'm going to follow his orders. I'm going to do what he says to do. I'm going to walk in his victory. Lord, remind us to that as we're assaulted on the left and on the right. Lord, that you would be our, our chief commander and we would follow in your footsteps. Lord, we do this now. We do this this week in Jesus' name. Amen.